one today. Nice. That's my roommate for now. <laughs> so I don't know. Um, I'm pretty sure I don't know everyone in this room. So it's always good to start off with a testimony. I was told when you speak so that everyone can kind of know who you are and uh, know a short glimpse of your story. So today I'm going to be talking about suffering and what God's intention is for suffering in our lives, what it produces, and why he does it, why, why it's part of our, our journey with him. Um, <laughs> amen. Oh, I can always count it on my, amen. So um, a little bit about me. I'm a southern transplant from Houston, Texas. Uh, I did not grow up here, I know. Some of you guys think I'm New Englanders, but I'm not, you know. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's right. Um, I've been up here for about a year and a half. Uh, immediately when I came, uh, I joined the House of Prayer. It was a place I wanted to get plugged into and a, a place I felt like my heart was drawn to. Um, actually, the first message I heard was from Will Eifler. He's talking about Daniel Company, and it just so resonated with my heart. I was like, this is a place I have to be a part of, and I'm so glad that God has me here. I'm so glad with the connections that I've made and the people that I have met, and I'm so excited for what God wants to do in this city and what he's doing with Let Love Arise, and what he's doing with Hilltop and J-Hop, and also I'm hearing other things going on in other communities, and it's really exciting. And I just want to encourage you guys that you guys are here for an exciting time in history, that God is writing a story, and everyone here is a part of it. So, um, yeah, a little bit about me. I, I grew up in Houston, um, had no thought to come to Boston, wasn't on my radar at all. Um, I, was, I worked at a church for seven years, and I was in my last year of undergrad. I was studying accounting at University of Houston, and I was just really, you know, some of you guys I'm sure can relate to whenever you're getting ready to graduate, you have all these thoughts going through your mind, like, what am I going to do? Am I going to work? And especially if you're really involved in ministry, like, am I going to be a preacher or a missionary? And like, Lord, what, what does this look like for me? What do you want me to do? And I was going through one of those intersections, so I took two months, I'm like, Lord, I need to hear your voice. Like, I don't want to just move blindly and do something. I, I need to hear what you want to say in this time. So I took two months and I just fasted and prayed and, and just really asked God, God, what, what's your heart? What do you, what's your desire for my life? And I, I heard him say, Boston. I was like, Boston? <laughs> what do you want me to do in Boston? And I also heard him say, Harvard. I was like, Harvard? No. <laughs> that ain't happening. You know? And, uh, and he just, he just affirmed his word through so many different things that happened. I mean, through friends, through random people I had never met. And I told God as I prayed, I was like, Lord, I don't want to come in through some pastor. Like, send me the guy on the street who nobody's going to listen to. I want your word to come to that person. And it did. And he spoke to me. And he, that, the word that that guy spoke to me is like still happening today. And it's just so amazing that the Lord would do that. Um, and so, but oftentimes, God has to remind me of who he is. I'm sure you, many of you can relate also that sometimes we can get so used to day-to-day -day life that we forget the value of God. We forget who he is. Oftentimes, we forget the things that he's done in our life, the places that he's brought us, and we become jaded to it. It's just like, oh, all right, well, I'm just working, just living the American dream. I'm going to get a house and have two kids and a dog, and that's it for me. But we forget that God created us with an intention that whenever he formed you in your mother's womb, that he created you for a purpose. And constantly, I have to ask God, God, remind me, who are you? 
remind me, why am I here? Because if I don't do that, I get so pigeonholed in this place and I'm just living life. And then I close my eyes and three years, three years has gone by and I'm like, God, I've done nothing to seek you. I've done nothing to hear your voice in this time. And often I have to ask him in the tough seasons and in the valleys of my life, whenever I'm going through a really dry place. So if you can turn with me to Philippians 3.10, if you got a Bible, if you don't pull out your iPad, your iPhone, I'll give you some time to get there. Can I get an amen when you're there? Amen. amen. All right. John's there. Praise God. <laughs> so Philippians 3.10 says, I want to know Christ. Yes. To know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So I'm just going to slow down and, and rewind for, for a little bit. It says the participation in his sufferings. When I first read that verse, I was like, the participation in your sufferings. So does that mean that I'm going to have to suffer? And the answer is yes. Um, so I was very confused when I read this. I'm like, God, what does this mean? Does this mean every time I go through something hard, it's you? Like, what is this godly suffering that the Bible talks about? And, and how does God use it to form us in his image? So just to remind us that, you know, we're all made in the image of God and in our lives, God is continually focused on crafting and molding us into the image of Christ. And also, God has an intention for suffering in our lives. If you can turn one more place to Romans 5, verse 3. We're going to go all over the place in the Bible today, so I just ask you to have some grace with me. We're going to be bouncing around a little bit. So we all know Paul is well acquainted with suffering. We all know he went through some things. And in Romans 5, it says, And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope, and hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So like, as I read that, I was like, God, you actually want to produce something in me, like, through suffering. And I began to, like, ask him, Lord, what is this thing that you want to produce in my life through suffering? And anyways, going back to my testimony of coming to Boston, um, I went through, like, a lot of hard things. And it felt like there was no open doors that I was like, God, do you really want me to do this? Like, I... My uncle works for American Airlines, and he usually gets me tickets to go places, and I'm placed on standby. And during this time, he got me a ticket to come, and, like, every flight was oversold. So I didn't get a flight. I had a job interview the, the next day. And I was like, God, is this, your, is this your will? Like, am I just crazy? Is this what you want me to do? And so I remember I was at the airport, and the flight was oversold by 22 seats. So how it works is whenever you're placed on standby, um, Priority goes to passengers, and then basically everyone else who's priority two gets a seat if the paying passengers decide to drop out. But on this particular flight, there was 22 paying passengers that were also on standby, so I was like further down the list. I was like, God, this isn't happening. So I was sitting down, I was talking to my uncle, he was like, so did you get on the flight? I'm like, it's not happening. I'm coming back home, end of story. So I sat there and I prayed, I was like, Lord, if, if you want me to do this, like, 
I believe you're God in miracles. I believe you can make a way. Like, Lord, please make something happen. And the gatekeeper came up to me like, hey, we got you a seat. And I was like, all right. <laughs> I'm not going to ask any questions. Maybe it's a glitch. So I took the ticket, and I'm walking in. I'm like, yes, Lord, thank you. I got a seat. And then he calls me. He's like, hey, hold on, hold on. Wait, wait, wait. Come back. I'm like, all right. He's going to tell me to sit down. So I come back. He's like, first class. It's like, God, okay. So I don't cry. I start bawling in the terminal. I'm like, God, what is going on? Like 22 people? Like that doesn't make any sense. And that's just a, a short testimony. But like he continued to do things like that all throughout my journey of coming to Boston. It was like at the last moment when it looked like things weren't going to happen. Like I just was like, Lord, okay, I trust you. I'm going to trust your word. I'm going to trust the word that you first gave me, what you said, and I'm going to push through. And, like, he provided. And so my encouragement to you is, is that, like, whenever God speaks things to you, don't always go off of the circumstance and don't make it conditionary. That what God speaks, he means. He has an intention, and he'll do it. Just trust him. So as I came to Boston, the Lord began to talk to me, also listening to Will's message about Daniel, this place about denying comfort and in its place in, in worship to him, having no unnecessary space filled and uh, giving it all to him. And if we look through Christian history, we see great people, great men and great women that have laid down their lives to follow God. And they have made extreme sacrifices in giving it all. Some people would pray for eight, eight hours straight. Some people would fast food for a month. Some people would throw out their TV outside of their window, like extreme sacrifices. And I was like, Lord, I want to be like this. You know, the cry, the cry of my heart at, at that time was like, Lord, I want to be a man like my Martin Luther King, how, how did you form this man? Like, how did this man become to be so influential? And he began to show me it was a place of great sacrifice. Are you willing to give it all? Are you willing to give it all and follow me? You know, you look in the Bible, and as the Lord was talking to disciples and people who wanted to follow him, he would say, all right, give up all your possessions and follow me. Some people did it. Some people like, yes, Lord, I'll do it. But others didn't. And if I'm honest, and I surveyed my life, I don't know if I would have done the same. It is a difficult place. But I want to encourage us, are we going, moving towards that place? That if God says, I want to use you, I want to use you in this city, are you willing to lay it down? You know, not to talk too much about John Howard, but I love that man because John Howard is a lay down lover. He gives it all. This man dropped out of school for the purposes of God in this city. And I think that's amazing, you know, that willing to, to drop down your pursuits to follow after the pursuits of, of the Lord. And the question I have is, are you willing to do it? That if God came and he slammed the city with revival, are you willing to, to drop your hobbies for a little bit in order to hear his voice and to see him move in the city? You know, I have a lot of people in my life often that tell me, Matthew, you're super busy. <laughs> you're doing too much. You know, and I appreciate it. You know, I appreciate the words. But in all honesty, my heart is bent for this city. My heart is bent on, on God moving in Harvard. My heart is bent on God moving in my workplace. And I will go to the end of the earth until he does, you know. But at the same time, <laughs> obedience is far greater than sacrifice. Obedience is far greater than sacrifice. If you forget the intention in which you started your journey to follow Christ and it becomes about the work and less about him, it's vanity. 
You know, and sometimes the Lord has to check my heart. I'm so thankful for people like Daryl Temple and Bethany, Sarah Riyad, Christina Ho, that are willing to tell me, hey, Matthew, something's not looking right in your life. You need to take some time to really seek the Lord. And I value people like that in my life. And I encourage you to value people like that in yours. But just to reiterate, obedience is far greater than sacrifice. I'm just finding myself in my notes. I'm sorry. And so I've been doing this thing constantly. I've been asking God, God, what is your desire? God, what do you want to do? What does it look like? What's my part in it? And God began to convict my heart because instead of me asking God, who are you? I've been asking him, God, what is the thing you want me to do? Like, what is my mission? And God is definitely focused on the mission. But if it becomes more about the mission than seeking his voice, it's just a mission. He's not in it. And so going back to what Bethany was talking about about last week about the place of Mary and Martha, is that they both had great intentions, right? Martha wanted to serve the Lord in other ways, but Mary valued his presence and his voice. And so not to say that neither was important, but there was priority in one's heart for the Lord rather than the service. And so this has been like a constant battle in my heart because I'm so zealous and I just want to do it all. Like, Lord, I will work 12 hours. I do not care to see you move. But at the same time, I forget that the Lord is focused on our heart. Like, he's focused. He's chiseling at us. He's like a, he's like a, a crafter. He's like a sculptor. And he's, he's continually molding us and chiseling at us and making sure that we are becoming who he intends us to be. And oftentimes, we are so focused on just getting through it. But he's so focused on the details. Like, God is so detail-oriented. You know, like I, I was talking to Annie and we were just talking about like an artist and, and just the special characteristics of someone who does art and someone who paints. And you never see an artist painting, uh, talking on the phone, looking at Facebook, uh, cooking dinner at the same time. They don't do that. That's not how you create art. Like an artist is, is focused and, 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 and intentional and, and focused on his work. And he's focused on every line, every color, every stroke, because it means something to him. And that's the same way God is with us, you know? And I think that's the same way we should be with him, that it says, like, as we draw near to God, that God draws near to us. So if God has so much intentionality in our lives, how much more should we have in seeking him and in the way we construct our schedule and the way we construct our lives? And just to preface this, I'm not, I'm also talking to myself, right? I'm not just saying, you guys, this is also me. This is, these are things that I struggle with at the same time. And so going back to suffering, if you could turn to Matthew 8, verse 18 with me. Oh, geez. My computer's going crazy. Give me a give me a quick second. All right, Matthew eight eighteen says, "Oh, jeez, sorry. One second. It keeps taking me to Matthew seven. I don't want Matthew seven. I want Matthew eight. 
Jeez. All right. Yeah, I'm going to use your Bible. Appreciate it. Daryl to save the day. So Matthew 8.18 says, When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he instructed his disciples, this is not what I want to read. I'm sorry. One second. <laughs> I tried. Give me one quick second. Bear with me. I'm just going to say what I was going to say. I can't find it right now. Thanks, Daryl. So have you guys ever read the scripture where it says the Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head and uh, the foxes have holes? Matt, what is it? 820. Thank you. Praise God for the wells. Somebody's reading the word in here. All right. All right, so Matthew 8:20. Yeah, Jesus said to them, "The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head." And when I read this, I was like, "God, that's kind of sad." Like you don't have a home, you know? I was like, "Man, that's kind of sad." But Whenever I read it, I began to understand what the Lord was talking about, that he was talking about giving no place to comfort and no place to the unnecessary comforts of this world and just having a heart of total abandonment to him. And I'm like, God, how do I, how do I have that? How do I have a heart of total, total abandonment to you? What does that mean? What does that look like? And so I began to pray. I said, God, please show me what that looks like. And, and basically, it's just the posture of your heart communicates so much to God that a lot of times we come to God with great words, great eloquence, great service. But in reality, he's just looking for the posture of our heart. He's just looking for a heart that's laid down. He's looking for a heart where material things and comfort have no placement, no bearing in them. And so going back to suffering, um, you know, at a young age, my parents got divorced, and devastation kind of struck our home, and I was just broken at a young age. Uh, I didn't understand what divorce was. Um, I didn't know how to cope with it. Uh, at the time, my mom didn't really either, and uh, we were going through a lot of financial issues and, and stuff like that, and I remember I would sleep in my mom's room every night during that time, and we had this mattress on the floor, and she would take me to the restroom Every night, she would close the door, and we would sit at the edge of the tub, and we would recite Psalms 23. And I'm like, man, this is so silly. Like, what does this mean? And I'm so glad she did it because, actually, Psalms 23 has been the script for my life. If you can turn there to Psalms 23 for a second. I'm going to read it. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, going back through that, did you realize that it says God leads us through the valley of the shadow of death? 
after the pastor? Like, it's in the word, you know? And I was like, I was kind of confused. I was like, Lord, you, why are you taking me through the valley? Like, why can't we just chill in the pasture, like, and sit by the water and just be cool? And, and I began to realize that God has some kind of, he's trying to do something. Like, he has some kind of place for suffering. And in my opinion, I think suffering produces oil in our lives. I feel like it produces some type of oil. Now, the question is, what is this oil that God talks about that's all over in the word? What is this oil it produces? It talks about that they use oil to consecrate priests. And they use oil as, as, as incense uh, before the Lord, in the house of the Lord. And I began to ask God, what does this mean? And I went to Matthew 25 where it talks about the parable of the ten virgins. You don't have to go there. I'm going to go there myself. So it says, the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were prudent. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the prudent took oil and flask along with their lamps. Now while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight, there was a shout, Behold, the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, no, there will not be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast. And the door was shut. Later the other virgins also came saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Now, those words also showed up in another part of Scripture whenever they were talking about, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not heal people, heal the sick, raise the dead, do miracles? And he said, depart from me. I never knew you. And so when you look at this, the Lord has an intention for our lives in producing something. And I feel like that thing that he wants to produce is developed in the intimate place with him, is developed in the, in the room. I had a dream when I was 15. I was sleeping in my bed and there was this room in my dream and there was this lady, she was searching frantically through this room for something as if like she had lost a baby or something. And she's looking under my bed and she's looking around on the dresser and she's opening up doors and she's like frantic and she's crying. And in my dream, you, you ever see somebody cry and you become so like intensified by their crying that you start to cry too? Like so in my, in my bed, I start to physically weep and shake and at this woman crying and I'm walking towards the door and I open the door and I'm asking her, what's wrong? Like, what are you doing? And she grabs me and she says, don't let the Empora leave your house. And so as I wake up, I'm like, that was weird. That just happened. And I asked God, well, I didn't ask God. I went to Google. I was like, I was like, Google, what does Empora mean? And I looked it up and basically it's, a vessel, it's a vase that they used to use to carry wine, water, and oil. And I was like, wow, that was really cool, God. You just gave me a word, and it means something. Like, that is awesome. And so, but at the same time, I was terrified because this woman was looking in my room, and she did not find what she was looking for. And I was like, God, what am I not doing? And so, at the time, I had all the boxes checked, right? I was going to church every Sunday. I was involved in youth. I worked at the church, but I felt so empty. And I was like, Lord, what are you looking for? 
how do I have depths with you? How do I have roots that go deep with you? And he began to tell me, seek me in the secret place. See, it's not about what happens in front of people. It's about the person you are when you're by yourself and the room is closed and the lights are off. Are you seeking him? That God actually wants to meet us in that place. That it's our place of ultimate discomfort where the Lord wants to come and heal our, our wounds and our woes. But are we letting the Lord into that place? You know, a lot of times when we go through hard times, it's so easy to shut down and to say, ah, I'm just going to trudge through it and get through it myself. I'm going to stick my head down and I'm going to muster up and do it. But that's not the Lord's intention. That he actually develops those wounds. It says like the Lord has afflicted me. David talked about the affliction of the Lord a lot. And the reason why the Lord does that is to prompt our hearts to get back to the secret place. To go back to our first love. And to really seek the Lord. It's in that place where you will truly know who you are. Where you will truly know your destiny. And the mission of your life will be revealed. See a lot of us in the church we're doing it backwards. We preach what is your mission? What are you called to do? It's not about that. It's about just seeking him in the secret place, making a decision, making a resolve in your mind that, Lord, I will seek you until I hear your voice. I must hear your voice. Yes, the work is important, but I must hear you. I will not move until I hear you. And then going. And then moving. You know, we were all made to contain oil, that it's not just for a select few, but it's the Lord's intention for all of us. If you're wondering what the call is for your life, the call is for your life is to seek the Lord. It's to know him fully. It's to know him intimately. You know, we even read in the Bible where it says, the Lord says, Jesus says, I'm going away to prepare a place for you in my father's house. And he has many rooms. Why did the Lord say rooms? What does that mean? It's because the room is the place of intimacy. And they talk about the inner room in the Bible and the holy of holies. What does that mean? And I know a lot of you have been walking with the Lord for some time. And you've, you've been churched out. You've, you've gone to church. You've done that thing. Maybe you've even been involved in the church. But my question to you is, do you have an intimate relationship with the Lord? Do you value his voice? Or is it about the work? I'm not trying to slap you upside the head because I do the same thing. I get so focused on I'm just doing the work and doing it with excellence because I love excellence. But the Lord wants to do something in our hearts. He wants to make you something. He wants to create something in you. Yeah, I just want to encourage you that, you know, a lot of times it's easy for us to beat ourselves up and just to say, Lord, I've dropped the ball. There's no more room for me. I've somehow squandered everything that you've given me. I've missed the mark. But I just encourage you to pick it up again. Don't stop. Don't be dead in the valley. But allow the Lord to take you through the valley into the promised land. Allow him to do something. Don't go back to Egypt. You know, I was reading the parable of um, the prodigal son. And one thing that really stood out to me was as I was reading it, I began to realize that the father who was waiting for the son actually 
with the expectation of his son returning, left the room the same, had all of his son's articles in the room in expectation that his son was returning. And I begin to think, God, how awesome are you that even when we fall and we fall into our mess, that you still have the expectation that we are coming back and you actually keep a place for us in your heart. You know, in the same way like the prodigal son, I don't know how many of you have read the story, but basically there was two sons and one was foolish and each son had an inheritance. And one went out and he squandered his father's wealth. He spent it on women. He spent it on alcohol and different things. And the other one was still working in his father's house. And this other son found himself working with the pigs in like a courtyard area. And he was, he was working with the pigs one day and he said, man, I had it better in my father's house. I, I, I at least would have it better as a slave, right? He would feed me. I would have a roof over my head. But in reality, the father was not looking at his son to come back and be a slave, but he actually kept the room ready. And he received him with a hug and he gave him a kiss and he put a robe on him and he put a ring on his finger. And guys, that's the same way God thinks about us. You know, sometimes we beat ourselves up and we're like, oh, I've fallen. That's it for me. But guys, God has, he's waiting in expectation. He's actually waiting to run to you as you approach him to receive you back as, as his son, as his daughter. And so I just want to encourage you that like in this time, especially this time of pruning, that yeah, there's, we're going to make mistakes. Absolutely. But there's grace and the Lord is waiting. Pick it up. Continue. Don't stop. You know, I see so many friends, especially people that I started out with that worked with me back in Houston in ministry. And I look at their lives now and they have just dropped the ball. And they're just like, I'm done. It's too hard. I went through too much. And I'm just like, pick it up again. Continue the race. That there's still a purpose. God has an intention for you. So if we can just bow our heads. Pray for a moment. God, I just thank you for your love. Father, I thank you, God, that you are a perfect artist, Lord, that you create us with intention. God, that you create us with purpose, and God, is for the desires of your heart. And Lord, I just ask, God, for everyone in the sound of my voice, Father God, that you would awaken desire in their hearts, Lord. God, that we would be found in the intimate place with you, Lord God, lacking in nothing, Lord. God, I just pray for oil, Lord God. God, the oil that suffering produces, Lord God, that you would begin to saturate us with this oil, Lord, that we would understand your intention, God, even when we go through hard things in life, that we would understand your purpose, Father. So, Lord, we just open up ourselves today, Lord God, and we just say, have your way. I just ask, God, for awakening in hearts, Father God. I just pray, God, for dreams to be resurrected, Lord. God, for purpose to be restored, Lord God. For original intention, Lord God, to be restored. And God, I ask that you would remind us of your value, of your worth. God, that we would see you as beautiful. That we would see you in your beauty, Lord God. That we wouldn't just truck through life in the mundane, in the day-to-day. But Lord, we would live, God, with the thought that you are beautiful. And we must have you, God. And we must hear your voice. So, Father, God, I ask for this week, God, for this company of people, that you would remind us of your goodness, Lord. That you would remind us of your grace, Father. And we thank you, Lord God, for the work of the cross. We thank you, God, for the work of your hand. And, Lord, we glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Don't you love Matthew Harlan? Yeah. Seek me. It's wisdom to seek him. It's the wisest thing that we can do with our hearts and with our lives is to seek the Lord. That's the wisest thing. But the word seek in and of itself, it exerts effort. It exerts a, a tangible force of going after him. And so I want to encourage us, anything that would hinder us from pursuing the Lord, that we deal violently with those things. And we be people that are found with a heart posture of pursuit in seeking the Lord in an unoffended heart. Um, we're going to close out service here, but for those of you that would like to give toward outreach, um, the basket is here. The outreach is November 25th, and so we like to provide gloves and socks and things like that. And I want to encourage anybody that's here that if you need prayer, if you want the prayer of agreement, whether it's Matthew or one of our team members to pray with you, even if it just struck the chord in your heart of recognizing that you've given up in pursuit, you've given up in the place of seeking the Lord, just to have a prayer of agreement to someone to pray with you, I want to encourage you not to leave here today without receiving prayer. So we're going to officially close out and we love you all and we'll play music if there's anybody that wants prayer. Amen.